This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Evan Roberts podcast, the highly anticipated. Everybody needed to hear this podcast. They demanded I bring this savant back. And that is our fantasy football preview featuring a man who not only runs his natural body stores, but a man who calls up sports talk radio, specifically Joe and I, as the infamous Stephen Howard Beach. But... He is a fantasy football guru. Steve, it's an honor to do this, I think, for the third consecutive year, my friend. Yeah, I'm very, very excited to be here, and also a man that has four kids. And uh, I know you're expecting your second, so congratulations to you. And uh, I'm ready to rock and roll here. I got a bevy of information, and I want to bring this value out to the masses, and hopefully it results in a number of championships. Well, that, that, and I think that's why people are so excited. When you called up our show a couple of days ago and, and you basically let Joe know this is all about helping people. It doesn't even matter if it, you lose out in your fantasy football league. As long as you're helping, you know, Bob from Comac, that's your priority. And that's what makes you a great American. So I'm going to be taking notes myself. I mean, I'm going to give my opinions, but you're the, you're the guru. You're the savant. So I'm... I'm honored to be sharing this podcast stage with you, Steve. Are you ready? Well, yeah, but let me get to something. Before I got yes. into the sports nutrition and health and fitness world and helping people get to their fitness and health goals, I wanted to be a broadcaster or an analyst for the NFL. So hopefully somebody hears me out there in the world and says, wow, we got to give this guy a shot. And uh, listen, I could do multiple things. I'm a fantastic multitasker. So let's rock and roll. I'm All ready right. to go. I believe in you. I bet you never know who's listening. All right. Let's start off with the impact that you think the fantasy world will face because of not only the virus we're all dealing with, but we are entering a football season like we've never seen before. For the most part, these stadiums are going to be empty. I know we've heard that, you know, maybe the Kansas City Chiefs are going to have like 12,000 people there. But for the most part, I think we are looking at a football season with empty stadiums. The, the first thing that jumps out at you on the impact of this virus and the fact that we are playing a football season with empty stadiums is what? Well, what jumps out as me is the motivation factor. And I know a lot of players look for that motivation. When you're in Pittsburgh and you see those terrible towels tossing and turning, that's got to ignite a fire inside of you. Now, as a Dolphin fan, I don't know if it affects us one way or another because 50% of the fans that go to our games are not even Dolphin fans. So for teams like the Steelers, teams like the Washington football team that have a very uh, loud crowd, a crowd that's really into it, you know, if you got the Jets and you got that fan base there and they get off to a winning start, I know that that fan base has been instrumental in their, in their winning over the years. So 
I feel like it's going to impact some of those teams that have a stronger fan base. And now that we're not going to see any of those fans in the stadium, it's going to impact some of these guys looking for any motivation to carry the rock, to to get on defense and get off the line of scrimmage and get to the quarterback. So I think we're going to see a very interesting dynamic in terms of the way players are motivated without fans. And, hey, well, you, may, you may have some players that are motivated to play without fans there. So it yeah, can go one way or another. I, you know, from a, from a fantasy standpoint, I don't think this is going to make any impact. Okay, I mean, look, it's tough to get into each individual's head to know how it affects certain players. But in a broad statement, I don't think it's something that's going to change my focus going into a draft. The only thing I, I do think it'll change is defensive performances. I mean, one thing that we're used to is 90,000 people and the impact it could have on an offense in opposing stadiums. So, Or how difficult it is to play against a big-time defense with a, with a huge home field advantage. Outside of that, I don't think individual player performances would be different. And as far as contracting the virus, I mean, who the hell knows? Like, that's the risk you're going to have. You almost have to look at it. Obviously, it's more serious than a hamstring injury or an injury like that. But you almost have to look at it as an injury. Guys are going to get the virus. We've seen that in baseball. We haven't seen it in basketball and hockey because they're literally playing in a bubble. So... As I go into my drafts, and I like to, for, for me personally, I like to only really be in one league. I don't like to confuse myself being, you know, five different teams and all these different matchups week to week. I just need it. I, I, I want one. To me, it's not making much of a difference. Like, my attitude's the same going into the draft. My attitude's the same, I guess, to some extent. But, I, I mean, as a football fan, you want to see players in the stands. And even as a fantasy fan, just to see those guys you know, put out a little bit more energy, run a little harder, run those routes a little bit more crisper. So for me, I want to see fans in the stands. I feel like it impacts us on some level, but I want football. So either way, let's bring on the games. Damn right. Now, I'm going to name and you're going to name five guys for the other person to give us, and for everyone listening, the floor for this guy and the ceiling for that guy. And I want to start off because the first guy I want to name is a guy that you nailed last year. I don't mean you actually nailed him because you wouldn't do that to your wife, but a guy <laughs> that you said on this podcast a year ago, and I will do my best imitation of you, don't touch this guy. He stays not going to have a good year, and most people were high on him. It's got to be that Odell Beckham. is Odell Beckham Jr. So, yes. So, start it off. The ceiling for Odell and the floor for Odell going into year two as a member of the Cleveland Browns. Ceiling, Odell Beckham, 1,200, 80 catches, six touchdowns. Now, that is the absolute best that I see him Ce- doing. That's the ceiling? That's the ceiling. They got, a, <laughs> they got an offense okay. with, a, with, a, with, a, with a ton of great offensive personnel. You got a new tight end there. You got Jarvis Landry there. You got multiple running backs that are very talented. So that's where I see the ceiling being. You know, Odell has more excuses than anyone knows what to think of. And at the end of the day, he's just got to come and play. And he's had his best games with the New York Giants, and he's been a shadow of him for, of his former self. So, I, I, you know, I haven't been impressed with him at all in the last three seasons. So that, to me, would be his ultimate ceiling. Um, his floor is... 780 to 800 yards receiving, 
70 catches, you know, 65 to 70 catches uh, and four touchdowns. And if he hits that that floor, he can cost you a playoff uh, team in any one of your fantasy leagues. So don't draft Odell Beckham too early because I can't see him approaching that ceiling whatsoever this year. I don't have much faith in a player that hasn't brought it in each of the last three seasons. That's that's interesting. I mean, I you're you're still banking on Odell being a guy that either can't stay on the field, which was the case in 2017, which was sort of the case in 2018, or a guy that is on the field and doesn't put up the monumental production you would expect. So, and he's in his prime. He's 27 years old. You would think if he's ever going to have that massive 120 catch, you know, 1600 yard year, it would be in year two in this offense in the prime of his career, but. I'm not surprised by that answer. All right, give me a go. Well, uh, part of that uh, equation is the Baker Mayfield experiment, and he hasn't sure. played well, so no, that, that's right. a big that's part fair. of it, too. They're fair. All right, give me a guy. Okay, let's go with Ezekiel Elliott. <sighs> Ezekiel Elliott. I would say his ceiling is probably a little bit better than the last two years. I mean, he's in the, the real prime of his career. So I'd say his ceiling is around 1,400 yards, 1,450 and we'll build off last year at 12 touchdowns last year. We'll say 14 touchdowns. I think that's I think we're talking about a prime, prime player. His floor, though, isn't that low. You know, I'm not banking on, you know, some shocking injury because I could sit here and give every floor being, hey, the guy tears his ACL and plays two games. Zeke's gone out there and played. I mean, you look at his track record, the guy goes out there and plays. So if his ceiling is the 1450, 14 touchdown monster year, I'd say his floor is like 1,200 yards on the ground with six or seven touchdowns. I think he's he's one of the more safer guys. It's why he's a first-round pick. It's why I don't think you can go wrong with Zeke. So I think his floor and ceiling are similar because I think he's a very reliable guy. Do you see Pollard eating more into his touches and his, ca- his ca- uh, receptions this year? I mean, look, I think Tony Pollard showed you last year that he can be a weapon but not to the point where he's really going to significantly get into his production. I mean, Zeke's an elite player. You know, I still want the ball in his hands. So, you know, I know his targets dropped a little bit last year, but he still is that bell cow running back. He's still getting the ball in his hands. He can still score a million touchdowns. So it's it's a benefit that they have a guy as talented as Pollard, but not really. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be afraid of Zeke, and there's nothing about him that would scare me. I mean, we, we could debate where in the first round you're going to take him, obviously, but I think he's a very dependable guy. I, I got an interesting one for you. I was thinking about this, because here's a guy that in a lot of drafts are going in the first round, and the truth is we really don't know much about him as far as what we could expect from him because he's a rookie. He's never played before. It's got to be My, Yeah, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, a guy who we have... Now, we have his track record in college, obviously, but what's the floor and ceiling for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? So one thing that, uh, if I was a Kansas City Chief fan, would have gotten me, I mean, if I was a fantasy drafter and I was picking Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the first round, one thing that would have gotten me a little bit nervous was, you know, what was happening in the whole Leonard Fournette camp, and he just signed moment uh, a few moments ago with the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers in a one-year, $2 million deal, and we'll get to that later. But uh, that eases off some of the burden on his touches. Now, Hilaire to me, when he was drafted and watching some of his college film, reminds me of exactly 
the player that Bryant Westbrook was with the Philadelphia Eagles when Andy Reid was coached there. Bryant Westbrook was one of the greatest running backs that I have ever seen, one of the most, uh, I, I guess, un- unheralded or um, one of these guys that didn't get the credit he shouldn't have got. He, he had a short career. He got injured quite a bit. But Bryant Westbrook was amazing, an amazing receiver, an amazing runner. He was a guy who was durable. He had some injuries, but he, he relatively stayed healthy most of his career, which was a short career. And uh, that's what Hilaire reminds me of. And if Andy Reid implements him the same way, I see his ceiling being 1,600 to 1,650 total yards in that year one with seven touchdowns and 70 receptions. Now, that would be his ceiling. Now, as far as his floor is concerned, you know, I see a lot of those running backs in Kansas City taking some of his touches. You know, it definitely helps that Damian Williams opted out, and it's going to give Hilaire a lot more of an opportunity. But um, I see his floor being... 1,200 total yards, 35 receptions, and five, maybe four to five touchdowns. And that would be due to wear and tear if they start to work them early and often. I, I, the thing that scares me, and I'm not saying he was as highly regarded, is David Montgomery a year ago in that he was the rookie. Everybody was just fawning all over. And... When you look at his total production, and trust me, I get it. It's a completely different offense, completely different quarterback. There's a lot of differences with it. I just mean being scared of that rookie phenomenon that we're all giddy about that you're using a first-round pick on. I mean, to me, that first-round pick needs to be a sure thing. And I think he'll end up having a big year, especially in an Andy Reid offense. But I think back to a guy like David Montgomery, just as an example because it was recent, where you never know what you're getting from a rookie, especially to draft a rookie as high as Edward Solaire is going to go in a lot of drafts. Uh, well, you know, as far as, you know, the depth chart there, there's nobody that scares you. So Edward Solaire is thing. going right. to get those opportunities. You're right. Darrell Williams and DeAndre Washington is not exactly scaring. It's a fair point. All right, give me a guy. All right, let's go with DeAndre Hopkins over in Arizona. <sighs> well... One thing about DeAndre is you look at the last couple of years in Houston, and I think the Arizona Cardinals are going to be a, you know, I'm probably not going out on a limb here, but I think their offense has a chance to be special. I mean, now Kyler's got major weapons at receiver. You know, Larry Fitzgerald can still play. Christian Kirk's okay. And you got DeAndre as a number one. So I'm not at all concerned about his numbers taking any kind of dip. And if you look at his numbers, he catches 100 balls a year. He catches 12, 13, 1,400 yards in that range. So I would say his floor is, let's give him a drop of 90 catches, 1,100 yards, five touchdowns as a floor. I think the ceiling is 115, 1,600, and 14 touchdowns. I mean, prime of his career, still only 28 years old. Um, I mean, I, I'd be certainly, he'd be one of the top wide receivers I'm grabbing off the board. So I think, again, much like you give me with Zeke, these are guys that I trust, so I don't think there's a huge drop-off when you look at the floor for a guy like that. Are you ready? Yeah, I think, um, you know, if that ceiling does hit, then he's uh, he's back in the first eight picks in the in the fantasy draft next year, and he'll bring somebody, you know, at least deep into the playoffs with that kind of a season. So, you know, as far as uh, him in a new offense, 
Um, it could happen. They just have to develop some type of chemistry early. Uh, but I, I don't know if that happens in uh, Arizona in year one. So here's a guy for you. All right? Here's an interesting guy for you. Guy had a monster, monster year last year. But can he back up such enormous numbers? And that's Lamar Jackson. What is the ceiling for Lamar? I guess it would just be what he did last year. And what's the floor for Lamar Jackson? I don't believe Lamar repeats what he did in 2019. I mean, he had an historic season. You know, to have a season like that uh, almost guarantees you, you know, in the Hall of Fame. But uh, I don't think... He uh, and I did have to do it more than two years, but I don't think Lamar Jackson repeats what he did last year. But now that he's more familiar with the offense, I believe we're going to see a a ceiling of sixteen uh, rushing touchdowns, thirty five passing touchdowns. Again, th- this is if he has some type of a season like he did last year with close to nine hundred total rushing yards, and about 3,800 passing yards. That's where I see the ceiling to be for Lamar Jackson. I think we're going to see a little bit more uh, of him spreading the ball around to the receivers. You know, Marquise Brown is going to be in his second year. He's going to get a lot more looks from him. You got J.K. Dobbins. I think we're going to see a lot more of that, you know, double running back with him and Ingram uh, splitting the carries and them being in the backfield at the same time, which is going to be interesting. They got uh, Andrews there to, you know, being familiar with Lamar Jackson in that second year of a full quarterback to tight end play. So as far as his floor, I see about 3,200 passing yards, eight rushing touchdowns, 25 passing touchdowns, and um, uh, that would put him outside of the top 10 quarterbacks if if he hits that floor. But I, I see him more towards the ceiling. Uh, I don't. I expect him at about a 15% drop from that ceiling that I had just uh, proposed a few moments ago. Well, it reminds me in a way, they're very different quarterbacks, but in terms of expectations going into a year after a year like that to what Patrick Mahomes had last year in that in Patrick Mahomes' first year starting in the NFL, he puts up these... Obs- I mean, guy threw 50 touchdown passes. And you just knew, like, there's no way he's going to repeat that. Like, there's no way he's going to come that close. Now, he did miss two games, really two and a half games. But he didn't come close to repeating that. And that's not a knock on Patrick Mahomes. It's just the absurdity of the stats he put up in 2018 were always going to be just so impossible to match. And that's kind of the way I look at Lamar Jackson. Obviously very different in that. The rushing touchdowns, rushing for 1,200 yards, only threw six interceptions. It's just almost going to be impossible to match the magnitude of what he did last year. He'll still be productive. You know, Mahomes was still damn productive, but going to be very difficult to match it. Uh, who you got? Okay, let's go to wide receivers once again, and let's go to Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen. Well... I mean, the thing about Adam Thielen is that he was such a he was such a disappointment last year. So, I my easy answer to the ceiling and floor of Adam Thielen would just be look at the last two years. Like last year is the floor, and the year before that is the ceiling. Essentially, I mean, we saw how good he could be 
in 2018 when he caught 100 balls and had nine touchdowns and had 1,300 yards. And last year he was, you know, just not – he just was not nearly the same guy. I mean, he's clearly the number one wide receiver. You have to think the targets are going to be plentiful, assuming he can stay on the field. So I'm actually a little bit more confident that his ceiling will look a lot more like what we saw in 2018. So I'll say his ceiling is catching 100 balls – 13, 12, uh, 13 is too much, even though he was great in 18. Let's say 1,200 yards, uh, eight or nine touchdowns, and the floor is floor is actually higher than what it was last year. I'd say 50, 750, and three. Uh, that's how I would look at Adam Thielen. Do you think that that's a floor even if he stays healthy? Last year, he missed, I believe, six games, and even the, he did. the games that he played in, he was just hobbled. Well, he, he just could he had not, that hamstring not issue, himself. But, but you know what? Like As much as I don't want to make injuries a part of this, when a guy had the year like Adam Thielen had last year where he was battling this hamstring issue all year, it's tough to get it out of my mind. It's tough to just forget about it and say, well, he's going to be healthy, so now what are those numbers going to look like? Like It's fresh in our mind because of how it affected him last year. So, yeah, I mean, he should be significantly better because of the fact that you think he's not going to be hampered by a hamstring issue all year. And he's still a, a dependable receiver, but it's tough to get the stank out of last year. I mean, if you spent a high draft pick on Adam Thielen last year, you know, what are you thinking about after the production he gave you? Probably not drafting him again, that's for sure. Yeah, that was me. I, I drop him to the sixth round, but maybe, you know, late fifth. Uh, that ceiling you gave was almost identical to his 2018 season. Um so, you know, maybe he bounces back, and without digs, maybe you see uh, him take a leadership role at that receiver position over in Minnesota where they need That's it. That's the thing that would help him in a big way, the fact that Stephon Diggs isn't there, that he's clearly the number one guy. I want to throw another rookie at you, and I'm curious. The ceiling, the basement for number one overall pick but he's starting right away. We don't know that about a lot of the other young quarterbacks. This guy is going to start right away. Joe Burrow. Ceiling for Burrow, 3,800 passing yards, 35 touchdowns, four touchdowns rushing. Mm. And, um, again, that, that didn't, it doesn't qualify him for a top 12 quarterback. That's where I see him as far as the ceiling. I don't see a Patrick Mahomes rookie um, repeat. I don't, you know, a Dan Marino rookie repeat. I, you know, the occurrences of rookies coming in the NFL and having years like that is few and far between. I, I don't necessarily like the organization he's with. Uh, I, I think he's got some issues there on the offensive line in Cincinnati. Um, as far as Mixon, he's got a, a very talented running back. Um, but A.J. Green is once again hobbled by injury. That doesn't help him. I mean, Tyler Boyd and Orton Tate aren't, you know, 1A receivers. So although Tyler Boyd is a possession guy and he's done remarkably well uh, for what he's done in these past two seasons, but um, I think he still needs that that really top-flight receiver that he does not have. And... Um, that's where I see his ceiling. And as far as his floor is concerned, maybe he comes in and gets his ass kicked and <laughs> he has a 3,200 passing yard season where he's uh, trailing a lot and has, 
you know, has some of his better games late in the season. Uh, 24 touchdowns passing. Um, maybe one or two touchdowns rushing. And, you know, that uh, that would be par for the course for a Cincinnati quarterback uh, in his rookie season. So that's where I see his floor and his ceiling. All right. Fair enough. I, I think we've done three. So fourth guy for me is whom? Okay, so I want to go with Saquon Barkley, New York Giants. <laughs> well, I'm very high on Saquon Barkley because kind of like what we talked about with Adam Thielen before, Saquon's year last year, which was a huge disappointment. I mean, if you drafted him number one overall or number two overall, and that's where he was going in most leagues. He was in the top two, top three. In the, in the league I was in last year, he was the number one overall pick. And I actually had the number two overall pick, and I tried to trade for him. I tried to move up to get him, and I'm glad I didn't. But I have to think he's going to be healthy. I have to think the giant offensive line is going to be better. There is more stability at the quarterback position now, obviously, without that weird transition we had last year of Eli to Daniel Jones. I think his ceiling is rushing 13, 1,400 yards, but really the big ceiling is catching the football out of the backfield. I think he could catch 100, 105 balls. I think he could have maybe 17 touchdowns combined uh, and really just be the all-purpose back the Giants have envisioned, basically Christian McCaffrey of a year ago. I think that's his ceiling. I think his floor, I mean, I guess it would be something similar to last year. I thought we saw Saquon's floor last year, and again, it was probably because he wasn't healthy. And his numbers overall weren't embarrassingly bad. I mean, he did, did rush for 1,000 yards, not that that's something to go nuts about. And he caught about... 45, 50 balls, whatever it was. So I think last year is probably his floor. I'd be really surprised if that happened again, so I'd kind of up it a little bit. But I think his ceiling is Christian McCaffrey. That's how I would define it. Yeah, I uh, I absolutely love Saquon Barkley this year. I think he makes a big bounce back off of last year's abysmal season. Um, so, you know, that, that, that to me would be his floor. I mean, last year was his base, like, the floor below the floor, which would be the basement. So I don't see we see that again out of Saquon in, 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 over the next five years as a running back for the New York Giants. You know who I want to throw at you? A guy near and dear to my heart. Le'Veon Bell. Floor, ceiling, Le'Veon Bell. You there? Did I lose you? I'm li- I'm waiting for you. Oh, okay. I gave you Le'Veon Bell. Bell. I don't know if you're jealous no, that you're on the Jets um, after that crap year he had last year. You know, due to the 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 many issues going on there in uh, in, in Jetland, uh, uh, Gase ne- clearly never wanted Bell there. I think that influences the amount of time he sees on the football field. Um, but. I believe his ceiling, I mean, the, the latest reports are that he does not look like he has a burst. And I said this years ago, Le'Veon suffered a couple brutal injuries in Pittsburgh. To come back from those injuries, that's a tough task. But I see his ceiling, if all things go well in New York with the Jets, at a 1,150 rushing yard season, 600 uh, receiving yards, and 65 receptions with 10 total touchdowns. And that would put him in the Pro Bowl. So if he has that type of a season, that would be everything the Jets would have ever hoped for. Um, As far as his floor, 
Um, and I don't see him hitting the floor like he did last year, but I see an 1,100, you know, 900 to 1,100 yard. I know there's a big difference there uh, as far as rushing, but I see his, his receiving numbers dropping to around 350 and five total touchdown, and that would probably put him out of New York because, yeah. you know, yeah. as far I- as uh, the money you're paying him, that is absolutely not worth what you're paying uh, Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, I think this is going to be his last year in New York no matter what, but we'll see. All right, last guy for me, and then we'll move on is whom? Last guy for you. We're going to go to the tight ends, and I want to talk about Tyler Higby. Tyler Higby's interesting. You know, it's funny. I had Tyler Higby written down for something we're going to do later. Um, he's the kind of guy, when you look at the production he had last year, you saw a big jump from him a year ago. And he's one of those guys who I could see making another big jump. I think his opportunities are only going to increase this year. He's a big-bodied guy. Had a pretty productive year last year. I think his ceiling could actually be 80 receptions, 900 yards. I think he could have a huge breakout year, mainly because he sort of had a breakout year last year, you know? But I think he could take another step. So I think his ceiling is actually pretty high, as high as what I just described. I think his floor is... I'm just wrong that he's not going to have a breakout. He's more of a, you know, 50 catch, 600 yard, two or three touchdown kind of guy. But I think with the offense that he's in, with the opportunities that I think he may get, I think he's a big breakout candidate. So I'd put his ceiling as high as that, you know, maybe 85, 90 catches. I agree. I I believe that he approaches his ceiling, especially uh, with the running back situation there that they have with the Rams and, um, you know, Brandon Cook's not being there and, you know, fewer options on the offense. So I think we're going to see more of a ceiling type year out of Higby. He's going to be a big weapon in their offense. I think that's why he's an intriguing guy. And it's funny because we were about to get into, uh, you know, various positions, tight ends, wide receivers, and running backs who have a chance to kind of start off as RB2s, RB3s, and make that jump to RB1. I think Tyler Higby was one of those guys for tight end, but I'll let you kick this off. Guys who are kind of forecasted right now as running back twos, even running back threes, that have a great chance to make that jump and be RB1s before this season is done. And my guy all day is David Johnson. Um, You know, this trade uh, with DeAndre Hopkins being shipped to Arizona and David Johnson being part of the Texans' backfield now, uh, it put David Johnson in a negative light. Uh, Everybody said that, the Texans got absolutely robbed in this deal. I honestly feel the other way. Uh, I feel that David Johnson, if healthy, and, and that's a big if because his past two seasons he wasn't healthy, but I don't think the injuries that he's sustained are going to create an issue as far as his career is concerned. I think he's fresh. I think he's healthy. I think he's excited. I think he's motivated. And he's going to get a lot of the work in that backfield, and that is one of the best offensive lines in the game. And right now, David Johnson is being drafted as a number two to number three running back, and he could turn out to be a top five running back. So that is my absolute obvious pick for a running back two or three that can finish as a one. Interesting. I was giving this a lot of thought, and there was a few guys I was bouncing you know, back to and fro on this. And one guy I'm kind of intrigued by is Kareem Hunt, only because 
Look, he's clearly sitting behind Nick Chubb. And Nick Chubb is a guy who had a very productive year last year. Uh, there's, you know, I know he's, I think he suffered a, a concussion a couple weeks ago. So hopefully he's okay. So obviously there's a little bit of the medical, medical concern around him. But Kareem Hunt last year was never going to be much of an impact. I mean, he, he got activated after a suspension halfway through the season. He's still only 25. He's only two years removed from an incredibly productive year. And I think the reason why I think about Kareem Hunt and I say he could be one of those guys is more, he's so good. And last year, I kind of, I remember going in a draft saying, I'm not even going to bother drafting Kareem Hunt. He's going to miss the first eight weeks. And then when he comes back, like, what the hell's his role going to be? Well, right now, you're already seeing where that opportunity could come from. You know, Nick Chubb is already dealing with some health issues, as good as he is. So, I guess because he's still only 25, because he's not that far removed some, from some huge years, Kareem Hunt's a guy to keep an eye on. Yeah, Kareem Hunt was one of the most talented backs when he was with Kansas City and had an unfortunate, uh, idiotic incident, and it put him in a position to be with a, a, a less than desirable organization. But, you know, he can come out and be the best back in Cleveland and nobody would be surprised. No, it shouldn't be a surprise. Right, how about a, a wide receiver three that can make that jump or wide receiver two that can make that jump? As far as a wide receiver two that can make that jump, I see uh, possibly, you know, I got a couple guys I'm debating with. I think this guy comes back and has a really good season and stays healthy, and that's Will Fuller. You know, for the time that he's been healthy, and I know I'm going to Texans twice here, but I think the Texans are going to, are going to surprise a lot of people. I think a lot of people are writing them off with this DeAndre Hopkins deal. You know, Will Fuller, for the time that he's been on the field, is easily a top 10 wide receiver. Unfortunately, he's off the field more than he's on the field. But I can see him. He's working really hard in the offseason. He's working with more trainers, giving more hours to stay conditioned. And if he stays healthy... He can be a top six or seven wide receiver in this league. And his numbers prove it when he's on the field. So that's my pick to end up in the top seven to ten wide receivers in the NFL this year is Will Fuller and the Texans. I'm I'm intrigued. I don't know how you want to clarify this because maybe he's already a wide receiver one or two. I I don't know how you look at him, but I'm not confident that A.J. Green is ever going to be healthy. I just don't think it's going to happen. And I do believe in Joe Burrow. I think that Joe Burrow is going to have a really good year. So, you know, Tyler Boyd had a a solid year last year. I think he could have an even bigger year, mainly because I don't think A.J. Green is going to be much of a factor. And now he's got himself a real quarterback throwing him the ball. Now, I have some concerns about the Bengal offensive line, and you kind of alluded to it earlier. It's tough to trust the Cincinnati Bengals. But I, I could see Boyd, who, again, had a good year last year, having an even bigger jump based on the fact that this is now a you know potential Pro Bowl quarterback that he's playing with. Uh, yeah, I, I can see that happening. But um, again, he's got to repeat what he did in that first year. So let, let's see what happens. He, he didn't have as much of a productive season that we all thought, thought he would last year. But let's see what happens with a brand new quarterback, a brand new offense, and a brand new you know makeshift offensive line. You know, we, we talk about tight ends. There's such a huge drop-off after you get past, you know, like the top 
six guys. A huge, and, and the guy that I wrote down initially as making that big jump was Tyler Higby, and we talked about him earlier, laying out the reasons why. Just look at the opportunities. Who's going to get those opportunities in the Ram offense? I, I'm kind of sick and tired of saying it, but eventually it'll be true. But the other guy I think of is Evan Ingram, and we've obviously had an up-close look at him over the last three years, and every year you hear Evan Ingram's going to break out. Every, every year Evan Ingram's going to break out. I think there are two reasons why I'm believing that this is actually going to be the year. Number one, he's got to stay healthy eventually. I mean, he missed you know eight games last year, whatever it was. He missed a bunch of games the year before that. He's almost due to stay healthy and build off of what was a very productive rookie year, probably the best year he's had in his career. And I mentioned this earlier, I like the stability at quarterback now. Daniel Jones is the guy. There's no question about, you know, is Eli done? Is Eli going to be replaced? It's Daniel Jones. And I, I look at those two as developing a chemistry. And I think that Evan Ingram will finally live up to that potential. Because I'm sure if you listen back to, to any fantasy football podcast over the last two years, you probably heard it. Breakout, Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram, breakout year. And it hasn't happened. And it mostly hasn't happened because he can't stay on the field. I'm kind of buying that this is the year he stays on the field. I read earlier in camp he looks as explosive as ever. Maybe it's just me buying the preseason hype. I don't know. But I kind of I believe Evan Ingram can make that jump. And it's, it's tough to find a good tight end. I mean, I think everybody goes through this every single year. How early do you want to use a pick on Travis Kelsey or George Kittle? Because there's a huge drop-off after the top six guys. I think this is the year Evan Ingram finally breaks through. Well, Evan Ingram, the first, I believe, five or six weeks of the season was tight end one. And um, he had an injury, and he fell off a bit and came back and wasn't exactly the same. But, yeah, I believe he uh, absolutely, talent-wise, could crack the top three. Um, my guy, I, I got two guys, but I really want to talk about one of them. And this is a guy that uh, had tremendous rapport with a former Dolphin quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, and he's Jonu Smith uh, with the Tennessee Titans. He showed some amazing flashes last year when Tannehill took that job over. Um, I see his numbers going from 35 receptions to around 65 and six touchdowns, which would be more than a serviceable tight end and one that you do not have to reach for. You can draft Jonu Smith in round 11, 12, or later. So this is a guy that I believe is due for a breakout season. He's incredibly talented. He's only 25 years old, and he showed tremendous, once again, rapport and chemistry with Ryan Tannehill. And Ryan Tannehill's thrown to his tight ends over the years. So this is a guy that could really break out this year with the Tennessee Titans. All right, the quarterback that makes that jump Lamar Jackson was the best fantasy quarterback in most leagues obviously scoring matters but I use Yahoo Lamar Jackson was the number one scoring quarterback the quarterback that makes that big leap into being a a top three guy who jumps out at you if anybody quarterback that makes that leap this year is a guy that um has had some down years, and, and right now people are, are, are dismissing him and putting him out of the top 12, which is mind-boggling to oh. me. I understand oh. he doesn't have that dynamic second wide receiver, but that's Aaron Rodgers. Ah. Aaron Rodgers was, was was solid last year. You know, the Packers were 13-3, and three and they, they relied heavily on that run game. Um, but I see Aaron Rodgers 
coming back this year and telling the NFL, go F yourself. Because right now, his <laughs> respect, especially with the Packers going and drafting a quarterback in the first round, Aaron Rodgers is on fire mentally. And he's coming into this season to really prove a point. And I see that Aaron, I see Aaron Rodgers really, you know, coming into his own this year and becoming the Aaron Rodgers of old and him breaking the top five coming, to six coming, quarterback. Coming back into his own. Coming He's not coming into, into his, into his own. own. Yes. Coming back into his own. I think the, I guess when I think about this, I think of that young quarterback that makes the jump. And, and this is obvious because I think this guy's going to go early in a lot of leagues. So I'm not splitting the atom here, but it's Kyler Murray. I mean, he now has even more weapons around him when you look at the move they made for DeAndre Hopkins and also just the experience. I mean, he has experience playing in the NFL now. That's a huge deal. And, you know, when you look for a jump, you look for that. And when you see, because I think Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes are the hopes. Mahomes is a little different in that he didn't play. So his jump was going from watching Alex Smith to actually play. He played one game week 17. Lamar played a little bit. It's a little bit different. Lamar Jackson got his feet wet. But Kyler Murray reeks of it. I think the only question with Kyler is, okay, well, how early do you want to draft him? You know, I, I've certainly bought in over the years of I'm not going to reach for a quarterback too early. It's great to have an elite quarterback, but I'm not using a first-round pick on a quarterback. I'm not using a second-round pick on a quarterback. And and the truth is, Steve, I think Kyler Murray's going to go that high. I mean, there's going to be an owner in your league who's going to draft Kyler Murray. This is not a mystery that he's the young guy who people look at and say he's going to break through. He, I think in most leagues last year, he was a 10th, 11th, 12th best quarterback, something in that range. But now you look at him and say he could jump to two or three. And the other guy, which I, I shouldn't say this, but his numbers weren't as good last year and he wasn't a top three fantasy quarterback, is Patrick Mahomes. I think you have to figure he's going to be healthy. And again, probably won't match what he did in 2018, but will be a better fantasy quarterback than he was a year ago. I love Kyler Murray. I uh, the the only issue there is um, Kenyon Drake taking a lot of that uh, time off the clock and minimizing his production. But uh, Kyler Murray, he came along and, and played incredibly well at the end of the season. Um, you know, he had twenty touchdowns, twelve interceptions, uh, thirty seven hundred yards. So, you know, him pushing those numbers fifteen percent. Is not an obscene thought. So, yeah, I, I, I like Kyler Murray. He's around top four or five quarterbacks being drafted this year. So, uh, yeah, he could definitely make that jump. He's got the talent to do it and the players around him. We, we've touched on a few rookies, but we'll go a little bit more specific. Three rookies to keep an eye on as you go into your fantasy draft. Start it off with the first one, Steve. Uh, this is, again, you got you can't pass up on um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire only because of the situation he's in with Kansas City. Um, nobody in the backfield behind him scares you. So that, to me, is clearly the number one guy in the best offense in the league. The guy that, that, that I consider, too, is DeAndre Swift, only because I felt like he was the most talented running back coming out of college, and I absolutely wanted Miami to do everything in that first round to go get him. Uh, it ended up where the Detroit Lions picked him. Um, he's got a little bit of an injury. Um, he's going to play week one from everything that I'm seeing, but he's not going to start week one. But I see him talent-wise taking over that job by around week six. So um, for me, 
Uh, he's uh, he's by far the most talented back in Detroit. And uh, the third guy that uh, I believe is going to come on at the end of the season and just light it up is Jerry Judy in Denver. I think this is one of these guys that's just going to overpower the defense and run those intermediate routes. You're going to catch him on the deep routes, and I think he's going to develop a tremendous chemistry. I, I don't think Cortland Sutton is the best receiver there. I actually think it's Jerry Judy. So those are my three guys that I feel are going to come out and have a breakout rookie campaign. Well, there's one you mentioned that I was also going to mention, and it was the last one you mentioned, and that's Jerry Judy. The moment the Broncos drafted him, and really you look at what John Elway did during his offseason, he was obsessed with, rightfully so, putting weapons, putting big-time receivers, young receivers, as many as he could find around a young quarterback like Drew Locke. And that's what you should do. That's what GM should do. I didn't see Joe Douglas do that for Sam Darnold. And Jerry Judy is the best wide receiver in the draft. And the opportunity is going to be there. I mean, it's not a knock on Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton's the number one guy. But Jerry Judy's going to get plenty of targets. And everything you've heard coming out of camp so far is that they love him. His route running is awesome. He's explosive. He's this. He's that. But the number one thing I look at for rookies, because I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to mention two rookies I love and then one rookie to stay away from. Because I think they all kind of qualify. Rookies to watch. Here's a rookie to stay away from. But I do it based on opportunity. That's a big part of this. Are you going to get the football thrown your way? Is the ball going to be in your hands? If the answer is no, and you've got kind of a blockade before you get to play, then how great are you going to be? And that's the guy I'm concerned about. I'm not saying don't draft this guy, but it leads to Jonathan Taylor. As good as he is, and again, I've read, oh, yeah. People are raving about how great he looks. He looks fantastic, all that. You know, Marlon Mack had a very good year last year. And he's not 28, 29 years old. You know, I still think he's going to get the bulk of the carries. It doesn't mean Jonathan Taylor is going to be irrelevant. I just don't think he's going to get maybe the opportunities that some of the other rookies are going to get. And so it's not don't draft Jonathan Taylor. It's be skeptical. Be on the lookout. You know, maybe don't be as aggressive with him as maybe the uh, you think, just because he's a sexy name. The other guy I really love, and when I was doing research going into the draft, I kind of started to like this guy based on his size, based on his attributes, and that's Chase Claypool. And I think he ended up in a really good spot, too. Um, I guess you could have some concerns about, okay, well, is Ben going to throw him the football enough? Especially with Juju Smith-Schuster and James Washington, guys like that. I think he's going to be impressive enough, especially with the frame that he's got. He's a big-sized kid that Ben's going to find him, and I think he's going to be a target. And I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities. So Chase Claypool and Jerry Judy are the two guys that, in my drafts, I'm going to be looking at. And Jonathan Taylor, I'm just, I'm kind of nervous. I'm, I'm just nervous the opportunity isn't going to be there quite like there it's going to be for a guy like Cam Akers or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who we talked about earlier. Well, you know, as, as far as uh, Taylor is concerned, Mack is going to get touches. Hines is going to get touches. Jordan Wilkins hasn't been cut. He's probably going to be, you know, figured into the offense as well. So you got four running backs that are going to share 
The Rock. I mean, Jonathan Taylor will get every opportunity, but Marlon Mack isn't just going to disappear. Jonathan Taylor is getting drafted way, way too high. Um, the guy that I believe is getting drafted a little too high as well is a very talented wide receiver, rookie, C.D. Lamb. And, you know, you got a lot of talent there in Dallas. So as far as him getting the opportunities, that may come late in the season, but there's no way in the very beginning of the season he's going to get 10 or 12 targets a game. There's no way that's going to happen, especially when you got the talent on that af- offense that you do when you got Ezekiel Elliott running the ball. So those are the, the, the you know, as far as C.D. Lamb is concerned, I would drop him down around two rounds, around 11 or 12, as opposed to where he's getting drafted now, which is way too early. All right, let's go through the top 12 at each position real quick. I'll let you start it off at running back. Go. All right, so I'm going to go to running back. So, of course, McCaffrey, it'd have to be a no-brainer. After the season he had, one of the best seasons for a running back in NFL history. My number two is Dalvin Cook. Only because if I feel that he, he's healthy the entire season, playing behind that offensive line, minus a Stephon Diggs, more focus on the running game, I think he could clearly be the number two running back in the NFL. He's got the talent to do it. I feel like him and Saquon are neck and neck as far as talent is concerned. Uh, number three, Saquon Barkley. Four, Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry has proven time and time again, especially over the last two seasons, to prove to be a competent, consistent runner. And previously in his career, he wasn't given the opportunity. Now, with new coaching and Tannehill there and a more consistent offense, he's getting those opportunities. So Derrick Henry's my four. Kenyon Drake is my five. Drake has all the talent in the world, and you're going to see him explode this year. He proved it. Towards the end of the season last year when he got his opportunities in Arizona, he's a great receiver out of the backfield. He's a great runner, and he's fast as lightning. Uh, number six, Nick Chubb. I feel like uh, he's only going to get better in this season. Uh, I, I, I know he's got some competition there in the backfield, but I think Nick Chubb is going to carry about 65% of those uh, balls in Cleveland. Ezekiel Elliott dropping to seven only because I feel like I feel like he asks out of, out of the game at opportune times when the team needs him most. And I don't like that about a, a team leader. And I don't think he's a team leader as a result. He seems to wear down as the season goes on. And uh, the Dallas Cowboys offensive line is not where it was a couple of years ago. They got some injuries and retirements. So uh, Ezekiel Elliott at number seven. Clyde Edwards Zelaya at number eight. We spoke about him earlier. Uh, breaking into the top 10, Aaron Jones, who was, I believe, a top four total running back last year, uh, half point PPR. He was absolutely phenomenal. So there's number nine. Number 10, Josh Jacobs, only going to get better in his second year. Um, a lot of people have him higher. I'm putting him in at number 10 because you have a lot of talent in front of him. Joe Mixon dropping to 11. I feel like he's being taken way too high. Again, that offensive line, a rookie quarterback. Injury at your number one wide receiver position uh, make for Mixon dropping a little bit. And I think Todd Gurley comes back and has a rebound season. Wow. Uh, they're saying that uh, he's going to get the ball up to 25 times a game in a stellar offense uh, with the Atlanta Falcons. He'll have uh, some ability to see some holes because those receivers in Atlanta and Julio Jones 
and some of the other options that they have there uh, are going to take that pressure off. So Todd Gurley breaking into the top 12, and those are my top 12 running backs. A right, couple of differences. Number one, Christian McCaffrey. I mean, uh, you'd be crazy not to say it. Number two, Saquon. I think Saquon will perform to that McCaffrey-esque level. I have him at number two. Number three, I've got Zeke. I mean, I think you buried Zeke. You have him asking out of game. You have him being like this horrible teammate. I'm looking at production. So I've got Zeke at number three. I've got Dalvin Cook at number four. Derrick Henry at number five. Uh, This is where it starts to get a little tricky for me. Nick Chubb I put at six. Aaron Jones I put at seven. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire I'd put at eight. And Alvin Kamara, who you didn't even have in your top 12. I understand he's got some contract issues. I've got him at number nine. I've got Josh Jacobs at 10. Joe Mixon at 11. Kenyon Drake at 12. That's my top 12. And, so. and, and that's what I wanted to touch on. As far as Kamara is concerned, I had to push him down because I feel like they genuinely want to trade him. I, that rumor didn't could just come out it. of thin air. And I feel like last year he eased up a bit. I feel like he didn't give a full effort. I feel like he wasn't a great teammate. And there were some issues there. Uh, and... You know, they got some serviceable running back, uh, serviceable running backs behind them. So for me, I would not draft uh, Kamara in the top twelve of all those running backs. I feel like each one of these guys is going to play consistently throughout the season, and you may see this Kamara issue explode if he doesn't get his contract at some point before week six, and that to me takes him out of the top twelve. It's amazing. Kamara was a top three, top four pick in a lot of drafts last year. So he's fallen, whether he's at my level at 10, wherever I had him, or he's at your level. It's clearly a fall from where he was a year ago. All right, receivers, go. Okay, Michael Thomas, clearly number one. Julio Jones comes back and has a another monster season. It repeats the touchdown production. Number two, Tyreek Hill, three. No surprises there. Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill, interchangeable. I think Adams comes back, has a big-time season. This is where it gets a little, a little different because most people have Godwin ahead of him. Mike Evans with Tom Brady only because of the experience. You know, Winston had tremendous rapport with the both of them and better rapport with Godwin. But because of Brady being there and that experience, I think he's the beneficiary of a lot of those targets. So Evans is at uh, number five. Kenny Galladay only getting better at six. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins uh, at seven. I think he's going to take a little bit of a hit in the beginning until he develops some chemistry uh, with his quarterback. So I don't think Murray and him connect very often initially, but I think they will connect very often late. Uh, Godwin uh, at number eight. Thielen at nine. Amari Cooper at ten. Devontae Parker, who was a top five in half-point PPR last year, or top six, is at number 11. He came on amazingly last year with Fitzpatrick. He he became the player we all thought he could be. A.J. Brown rounding out the top 12, and his status only climbing, because the guy reminds me of exactly what Andre Johnson used to be to the Texans. A phenomenal Go up and get it. Tremendous route runner. Hands that are impeccable. So the guy goes and gets every ball. So A.J. Brown rounds out your top 12. 
Yeah, I'm going to go. I mean, clearly Michael Thomas, number one. I think Tyreek Hill has a healthy superstar caliber year again. He jumps up to number two. Devontae Adams, three. Julio Jones, four. Mike Evans, five. Chris Godwin, six. Kelly Gallad- uh, Kenny Galladay, seven. AJ Brown, uh, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, eight. AJ Brown, nine. Odell Beckham, 10. I, I mean, I knew you were going to bury him, but I'll put him at 10. Allen Robinson, 11. And probably Cortland Sutton, 12. I think he'll have a, a big year. You know, we talked about him before as far as with the. Uh, you know, Jerry Judy and that. All right, tight ends, go. Uh, but before we get there, I had a yeah. little bit of a struggle, you know, with what? guys like Allen Robinson and Cooper Cup who have been absolutely tremendous. Um, I see Cooper Cup possibly breaking the top six or seven. He's been tremendous when healthy. Uh, and Allen Robinson has been the epitome of consistency. But we don't know what the situation there at running back or the situation there at quarterback is going well, to that's be. The, that's the question. The quarterback question is the big one. And without yeah. without a, a healthy running back, first running back, you know, and Tariq Cohen being the guy, that impacts your receivers. So I don't know if Allen Robinson uh, has that repeat season. He's got all the talent in the world to do it. But, you know, we'll see uh, if he breaks that top, top 12. As far as tight ends, um, now this is interesting. Uh, I, I have Kelsey one. You know, I would absolutely draft Kelsey over Kittle. I have Kittle two. But in 16 games last season, Kelsey had 97 uh, receptions, 136 targets, 1,229 yards, and five touchdowns, which was his, his low. You know, in recent seasons, he's had as as far as uh, as much as ten touchdowns, I believe, uh, a couple of years back. Now, as far as Kittle's concerned, he had in fourteen games. Kelsey played a full season in fourteen games. Kittle had eighty five, one hundred seven as far as targets, a thousand fifty three yards, and five touchdowns. So he matched Kelsey. But if you trend that out over sixteen games, and he's healthy. He has 97 receptions, same as Kelsey, Kelsey did. 122 targets, 100 and, uh, 1,200 yards receiving. Kelsey had 1,229, full 16 last year, and he would have six touchdowns. So to take Kittle first isn't much of a stretch. Again, he only played 14 games last year. Kelsey played the full 16. Number three, I go Mark Andrews. Uh, no surprise there. Some people may go Zach Ertz, but Andrews proved that he belongs in the top three last year. He's only going to have more uh, chemistry uh, with um, uh, uh, Lamar Jackson this year. Ertz is four. Darren Waller is going to come in and kick ass again. He's five. Uh, he may jump Ertz or Andrews and ma- make the top three. He's got the talent to do it. Engram is my six. Tyler Higby, who came on late last year, is only going to get better as my seven. Jared Cook in New Orleans is eight. Gronkowski coming back is my nine, only because he's matched up once again with Tom Brady. So there's my nine. I believe Gronkowski is going to be healthier uh, than he's been in quite some time. He's had some. He's had time off to heal. He's had time off to refocus. And uh, this is a guy that, to me, plays with more fire at that position than anyone that I've ever seen in my life. Um, uh, you, you got Gusecki. I'm bringing him to number 10. Gusecki played incredibly well last year with Fitzpatrick, came on late, and that's what you want to see. You want to see guys come on late at the end of the year when they start learning the playbook, getting more familiar with the offense, and then that gives them the ability and the um, 
mental safe place to play harder because they know the playbook. They know the offense. Um, uh, so that, that confidence is, is a big factor. Jonu Smith at 11, and I have an arrow up. I see him breaking into the top eight possibly. And TJ Hawkinson at 12, I only see him getting better in his second year um, with Matthew Stafford. So let's see what happens there in, in Detroit. So that rounds up my top 12 tight ends. I'm going to go. I'm actually with you on Kelsey, one over Kettle. It's close, though. I mean, it's one of those things you can't go wrong either way. I do remember, I think it was you and I arguing two years ago or three years ago, Kelsey versus Gronkowski, because I was a big Kelsey guy, and I feel like I officially won that debate. Absolutely. Yeah, I have to concede. Kelsey Kelsey won, Kittle two. I'm putting Zach Ertz over Mark Andrews at number three, but it is very, very close. I look at him maybe bouncing – not that he had a bad year last year, but remember what he did in 2018. I mean, he had like 120 catches that year. So I'll go Ertz four, or Ertz three, Mark Andrews four. You're right about Darren Waller at five. He had a monster year last year. Evan Ingram at six, Tyler Higby at seven. Rob Gronkowski at eight, only because, I, I mean, I got to show him the respect, especially getting to play with Brady again. I don't want to touch Jared Cook. He stunk last year, so I'm going to forget him. TJ Hawkinson, 9. Mike Gusecki, 10. Ah, my God. I guess Jared Cook, 11. I don't want to take Hunter Henry because the quarterback situation with the Chargers is so crappy that I guess to round it out, I'd go with, boy, it's just, it's it's a terrible field of guys. I don't want to say Dallas Goddard because it's tough to take two from the same team, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 rough, man. I guess I will say Jared Cook if I haven't said him already. Jonu Smith. The tight end field sucks. That's the problem. That's what that's why every year I, I end up kind of reaching for a tight end. Because it, it gets horrible once you get past it gets, it gets bad once you get past the top six. But even further after that, I'll probably draft Christopher Herndon trying to take a flyer on a jet. But it's not a great list of tight ends one through twelve, that's for sure. That's why it's good to try to find that. That guy that breaks through. Well, uh, you know, you got a lot of talent there. It's just few and far between that these guys actually put it together on the field. Like if you dra- if you drafted Gasecki last year, you didn't get anything out of him until around week seven or eight. Gasecki and- for me, I actually had Gasecki on my roster for a while because he was a pickup in the middle of the year. He wasn't even signed by. He wasn't drafted by anybody. Or if he was, he was cut immediately. Yeah, and the same thing with Jared Cook. You got nothing out of him. Oh, he I, sucked last I, I, year. I think the first 10 weeks, he had a total of 15 receptions. You know, and yeah. then he came on late. He you came know, on late, yes. Yeah, he had a bunch of touchdowns late, too, I think. Yeah, he didn't have a lot of He wasn't spectacular in the yards department, but he came on late with the touchdowns. But you want guys that get the targets and last year, what you saw out of Higby, and we both touched on this with Goff, was that chemistry starting to take shape. And I, it's only going to continue from game one this year. So we're going to see that continuation start very quickly in the beginning of the season with Higby. But you got it. You got you got a lot of talent there. You know, listen, John O. Smith in some in some drafts is going undrafted. Same thing mm. with Eric Ebron in Pittsburgh. Eric Ebron was phenomenal last year. And uh, although 
He shared some time there in Indianapolis. Uh, You know, Eric Ebron played incredibly well. And the year before, he played incredibly well in Indianapolis. Uh, Even better than he did last year. Now he's with Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. Listen, Pittsburgh's wide receivers are nothing to brag about. Juju (laughs) Smith-Schuster didn't have that great of a season last year. I like him a lot, but I left him out of my top 12. Um, But Eric Ebron may see a lot of red zone this year from Big Ben. And um, we may see running back tight end activity in Pittsburgh more than we see receiver activity there. So there's another guy you can draft very late and get good production out of, especially if he hits. Before we let you go, anything else you'd like to add, Steve? Um, guys that, um, you know, uh, may cost you a season here. You know, again, I love him to death, but, you know, you got to be very careful with this whole thing. Because if they start giving the ball to multiple backs in that backfield, you know, that top six pick is going to cost you a playoff appearance. So for me, even if I'm, even though I had Hilaire uh, in my top eight at running back, I wouldn't even pick him in the first round. I may not even pick him in the safe, uh, second round, go with a safer pick. His upside is tremendous. But are you going to put that much faith into a rookie? on an Andy Reid offense where the running backs are like a carousel. So that, that's all I wanted to leave you with as far as this year is concerned. And another guy, don't sleep on Tom Brady. He's not going to, he's not going to Tampa to lose. He's not going to Tampa to, 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 to be, you know, remained out of the NFL playoffs. So uh, we're going to see a guy go into an offense that he's familiar with and light it up. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on before we ended this was the late-breaking Leonard Fournette uh, acquisition by Tampa Bay? What do you? How do you think that impacts the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Ronald Jones? Well, I think it, it, it. First of all, it impacts him negatively if we're talking about him from a fantasy perspective, because Leonard Fournette being in Tampa Bay, it affects probably the roster status of Shady McCoy. It affects the amount of touches Ronald Jones is going to get because Leonard Fournette. You know, forget about where he was drafted. Forget about how much money he was making. Because those two things don't matter when you sign the way he did with Tampa Bay. He is a kind of a he's a bell cow running back. You know, he's a guy who can get you those tough yards. And so it doesn't do anything positive for Ronald Jones or Shady McCoy or anybody on that depth chart. Is he a guy I'm rushing to draft in the first couple of rounds? No. But he's young, he's in the prime of his career, and we have to forget about the amount of money he makes and that he was drafted ahead of Christian McCaffrey because at this point, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant, especially for a team like Tampa. I think it's a great spot for him. I mean, he certainly has a chance to win. So I don't know where I projected him to be prior to him being cut and where I would project him now. He was never a guy I was in love with drafting, somebody I would be that aggressive for, but... I mean, clearly it, it impacts in a negative way Ronald Jones and, and for Shady McCoy, his employment, I would think. All right. He, he is where, where, where I lose it sometimes uh, with NFL talent scouts and or coaches. Uh, listen, I understand the guy had some uh, issues as far as not being liked by many players on the team. So I don't know what happened there. I don't know who he rubbed the wrong way. You know, Leonard Fournette had 1,100 yards rushing last year. He had three touchdowns, 
But listen, this is the craziest stat of all. He had 100 targets, 76 receptions. 100 targets in 70. So he's proven that he can be more than capable of being a receiver out of the backfield. If if uh, Leonard Fournette is in the right mindset, this gives Tampa Bay another two wins during the season. So to me, this is a no-brainer. I was hoping Miami would bring him in, uh, especially with the mess that we have at running back. I mean, he doesn't want to go there, though. I mean, you got to think about it from his perspective. He wants to win at this point. He's escaping Jacksonville. So no offense. I mean. Why wouldn't you want to go to Tampa Bay? That's one of the more sexier places to go to, that yeah. New England. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, actually, Tampa more than New England at this point. I, I just feel that Miami didn't put any type of an effort into acquiring him. They weren't even mentioned at all, and I looked at every news outlet out there. But Leonard Fournette gets a re- raw deal as far as the media is concerned. In 2017, he had over 1,000 yards rushing. In 2018, he, had a, he only played eight games, had, I believe, like 600 total yards, right? So that's trending to a 1,200-yard season. 2019, last year, he had 1,700 yards, nearly 1,700 yards. This is a very productive back. He was not a bust, and he's going to Tampa Bay to light it up. Listen, this this is going to do one of two things to Ronald Jones. It's either going to completely deflate him, or it's going to motivate him. There's no in-between. It's going to do one or the other. So, hey, maybe you get... Uh, Maybe you get fire in a bottle with two guys right now in Tampa Bay, and it launches them into you know the, the playoffs in a in a deep sense, or they get to the Super Bowl as a result of this move. So you know you can't underestimate it. Um, I think that's uh, about all she wrote, ladies and gentlemen. I think we covered everything. Well, Steve, else? Ex- excellent, excellent job. You've brought the information, and hopefully, you've won somebody their fantasy football league. And of course. Uh, let's let me give you a plug. Where can people, you know, go to a website to shop your wonderful stores that you have? All right, so I'll give this a, a short. Uh, I'll give you guys a short like story. Me and Evan met through a promotion at WFAN. I became his trainer and nutrition coach. I absolutely kicked his ass in the gym. He took it like a man. He looked phenomenal. He was in the best shape of his life. He was eating incredibly well. He felt great. It really changed his life, and uh, we became great friends. He knew about my aspirations to, to be in the football business, but I got into nutrition. The name of my company uh, started 25 years ago when I was 18 years old. It's called Natural Body, five retail stores. Um, Queens is our flagship store. We have two stores in Brooklyn, one on Avenue U in Marine Park, one in Bay Ridge on 4th Avenue, uh, one in New Rochelle right by Iona College, and then our new store is in Belmore, New York. Yeah, we're crazy opening up retail stores in a pandemic. But what we do here is more than sell supplements. We help change people's lives. Uh, The name of our website is naturalbodyinc.com. Um, I started this company out of the trunk of my car. We have five retail stores, and we're well-known nationwide in this business. Um, and I'm going to give you guys a coupon for 10% off for all the listeners of Evan's podcast and the and the show over at WFAN, and that's going to just be fantasy. So type in code fantasy, and you go to naturalbodyinc.com, and you get 10% off anything you want at our our already discounted, better than Amazon pricing website. So uh, you can find me on Instagram at Natural Body. Uh, Facebook is Steve Calabrese. And um, you can always contact me. I answer my messages very quickly. 
And I'm a 24-7 guy, so if you ever reach out, I'm available immediately. He is a 24-7 guy. That is absolutely true. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast. Ciao. Okay, now I'm going to 